0: Severin you've been an ever present for most of Roger Federer's career. It must be a, a sad time for you to see him end just as it is for the rest of us. Yeah, I think um
1: I, I see both, you know, uh, on on one side it's uh, it's always sad if some, something ends, on the other side I think uh, we are so lucky uh yeah to witness um for for such a long time um this career, you know, uh, it was for me 15 amazing years. Uh, he had a even longer career so um, yeah I think more of of this time than that I'm sad
0: about that uh, everything that it ends. You've been the constant coach and co-coach for most of his career alongside other coaches what has your role been whether it's been a sole coach or alongside people like Ivan Lubacic, Stefan Edberg, Paul Anacone? At the end, you try
1: to help, uh, the player, uh, ver- wherever it's, uh, it's needed, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's technical, it's tactical, it's, um, the whole, um, plan for the year, which tournament is he playing, how much is he practicing, everything. Um, people always, uh, think that the player like Roger doesn't need, um, any coaching, you know, but he wants to hear every day what, uh, what he should do, what our opinion is, and, um, then you need to adapt you know uh, wherever you can help him you try to help him out so yeah it's a, it's a lot of things uh, but a very interesting job also
0: it sounds a bit almost like a company where you're a member of the board is that often how it feels to you
1: yeah that, that's that's one side um i also see our role as a, as an advisor you know at the end um roger is the boss of his own company and um at the end he has to take the decision and uh we need uh, we try to advise him as good as we can and um yeah but that, at the end it's him and um sometimes he also wants a decision from us but
0: that's uh, mostly how i how i see our role have there been any major discussion points which were really sort of the subject of different opinions where you had to have a lot of different opinions before Roger made his decision is there any example you can give over the years of where you know there was a lot of decisions to be made
1: yeah always um you know whether that uh, was tactical or also like i said for which tournaments to play at the end he always um, gave us the possibility to say our, our opinion and i think this is important otherwise um yeah you just uh, travel with somebody as a friend and um he always gave us the possibility to to say what uh what we thought and uh yeah, sometimes we had different opinions on, on tactics, uh, that happened. Um, but then he's really good, you know, uh, it also happened that maybe when we were two coaches and both at the tournaments that, uh, we saw, uh, details a little bit different. But I think that's always, um, the base of, uh, of an interesting discussion where you can, yeah, find solutions and, uh, you can argue why you think uh, your solution is the best one. So um, there were a lot of like uh, interesting moments.
0: So when you work with Jose Higueras or with Paul Anacone or with Stefan Edberg or Ivan Lubacic, is there a change of culture every time a new co-coach comes in?
1: I wouldn't say um, a change of culture, but um, yeah, um, some uh, some details again uh, were maybe seen different. Also, if you bring uh, somebody new in the team, you also hope that he uh, adds some value and, and everybody is a little bit different, you know. So um, for me, yeah, sometimes it was also a challenge maybe at the beginning to adapt and um and, uh, yeah, my role maybe changed uh, slightly also because everybody is, has his uh, own personality, but uh, I think it's interesting. And at the end, I think it also helped me to become a better coach because I can, I could also always learn from the other guys. Um, I hope they could also learn a little bit from me, but, um, no, for me, it was very interesting. And, uh, at the end, I think it's important that. You always remind yourself that you want to help the the player, you know, you want to do uh, the best for him. So it's not your ego that should be uh, um, on top of the list. And um, so I tried always to do my best to to be helpful uh, for Roger.
0: It was interesting. He had Anacone and Edberg as coaches who were both serve and volleyers. And he didn't do much serve and volleying with Anacone, but he did with Edberg. Was that a result of internal discussions or was that just where Roger was at that time?
1: Yeah, I think it was m- more uh, where he was at that time. Um, you know, uh, also with Paul, um, he was also he also had the opinion that uh, he should serve and volley. On the other side, you know, it's also um, those guys they played uh, yeah, a few years ago. So maybe also the whole circumstances uh, have changed, and um, you always need to adapt. You know, it's also a question of. Uh, Uh, how um, confident you are Um, there's a lot that plays into it and I think it's more maybe from the press or from the outside that they think um, the first volley he puts into into the court at the Australian Open when there was a new coach in the preparation that this is because of him that he's going to the net. Um, I think generally we all had the same idea. You know, uh, Roger had to uh, be offensive. He had to to go to the net. Uh, he wanted to be in control of the of the point. Um, so that didn't change. You know, and sometimes also um, you know you tell something to the player and he maybe does it then a year after only. And uh, so this is really difficult to say uh, how much influence everybody had. But uh, definitely, you know, I think also as a player, um, you want to have that information, you want to progress, you want to yeah, make your game better. And um, we all try to,
0: to, to help him with that. It's interesting you say sometimes you'll say something and it'll take effect a year later. I mean, is that the stubbornness of the champion? Yeah, for sure, um,
1: also, yeah. And I think um, there is a good side of stubbornness, you know, it, it can always be a weakness or a strength. Um, yeah, and then, you you know, you, you learn and sometimes you feel like uh, you don't need that option or you don't like it. I remember, for example, when uh, Roger, when I was with him at the beginning, he didn't really want to play drop shots. He thought that this is not something, uh, I don't know, uh, good for his game or whatever. And, uh, and then... Uh, Jose came into, into the team and I remember the first year um, he didn't really want to do it you know so uh, it took some time I think uh, the drop shot helped him for example winning also uh, 2009 Roland Garros you know so details like that um, sometimes it takes time um, I think it's our role as coaches you know to convince the player also from those ideas and uh, at the end he needs to decide okay I want to do it I agree um, but, um, yeah, sometimes you have to mention it uh, ten times. Uh, sometimes you have a lot of discussion. Um, and, and, and the goal is to convince the the player also from your idea, if you're convinced of your idea.
0: Were there ever any sort of, I think, of high-level conferences of the Federer team after maybe a defeat to Djokovic or a defeat to Nadal where you had to say, OK, if you couldn't compete with these two guys going to have to do something different what are we going to do did we ever have that situation
1: no not really um, I think you know there was never the situation where we thought okay he cannot beat them you know that it was details you know that uh, against players like this um, there is a chance that you also lose matches um, so you cannot beat them every time and um, uh, you know I think it's also wrong to to press the panic uh, button um we always analysed uh, the games, you know, whether he won them or he lost. Okay, obviously, sometimes maybe a longer discussion or something was a bit deeper. But at the end, you try to to stay stable and not, uh, not to panic. So um, we had uh, other conferences, you know, for general things, um, you know, also, for example, for injuries when... And, yeah, he wasn't quite happy with his body. You know, then uh, it happened that we had maybe conferences or, you know, like uh, conference calls. Um, But not really that, uh, yeah, we were never never that desperate uh, because of the opponents.
0: I mean, the one time where he seemed to come back with something extra was after the six months he took off at the second half of 2016 and then beat Nadal with the most wonderful high topspin backhands in the Australian Open final. Is there anything that you can pinpoint that happened in the last couple of months of 2016 that allowed that wonderful achievement to happen?
1: I think it was a combination of many things. You know, um, first, I think he was uh, really fresh when he came back. Uh, He had really some time off. Sometimes this is tough in, in tennis. You know, you have maybe one month off in December. I go for holidays two weeks and then the preparation starts already and uh, soon after, uh, yeah, the season starts already. So you don't have that much time to really always work on your game as much as you want. Um, And uh, Roger is a very complete player, you know, so there's a lot of things you need to work uh, in his game also. And uh, 2016, we really had um, a lot of time, you know, to let's say, okay... uh, we do three, four days only of return of second serves or, or things like that. You know, you could really go deeper there in the game. Um, then I think it was also uh, the racket. He changed the racket uh, before, but um, it took him some time to uh, adapt and, and yeah.
0: Every, to the bigger frame.
1: Yeah. To the bigger frame. Um, and I think he really, um, everything was uh, getting even better then. And um then again, I think it, it was something also where we could could convince him, but this happened already before. The, the whole process started before, you know. Um, it was not different ideas than uh, Paul had, um, but he also felt confident enough then to do it, you know. So I think it was really a combination of, of, uh, of many things.
0: You know Roger from before his playing days, when you were juniors. To you, he's obviously somebody that's been a part of your life. He must seem like an ordinary person, mm. and yet he's a legend around the world. Has it been difficult for you to actually appreciate just what a, a global figure he is, given that he is just another person in your life?
1: Yeah, no I I think what I appreciate most is that he's a nice guy, you know. Um honestly for me it became difficult to see him like a, a superstar, a global superstar. Um you know, I've um, I've been for such a long time with him. Uh, I I saw him a, many days um so yeah you look at uh, at the person maybe different you know it's then almost a bit weird when you're getting out and everybody is screaming you know so um but for for me I have a lot of respect um for for what he did and uh again like I said I think uh, for me it's even more important to to see him as as a nice person that, that he is you know
0: As somebody who's part of his inner circle, you've obviously had to keep quiet about a lot of things because very little has leaked from Team Federer. Is there a sort of a bond between all the members that you don't talk about outside things or is it just the way it's worked out? I, I think it's
1: especially um, also because I wanted to do it like that. Um, obviously, there were things that, um, you know, when we talked about it or we said this should not go out, um, but it's also my nature, you know. I'm not somebody who uh, likes to go out with details and uh, show everybody how important I am because uh, I know uh, stuff, you know. So uh, for me, yeah, I... I always liked uh, to be in the background a little bit, and um yeah, th- I think at the end, my biggest interest was also um to give him the possibility to play well, you know, and I know I knew that if um if there's rumors, if there's too much talking, if he would not be uh, able to uh, to trust me then um, it's also not ideal for his tennis. And I always uh, wanted him to, to be able to play uh, as good as he could, uh, to be happy also. I think it's very important. He's such a happy person. And uh, yeah, I didn't want to add any problems. That's why I think for me it was completely natural to to not say that many things.
0: But I presume you had lots of friends who said, come on, tell, tell us what's happening inside.
1: Yeah, but I think at um, at the end, if uh, if they realize what you're talking about or what you're not talking about, um, it stops also. You know, for me, it was also a little bit like that with the press. Um, the press people always knew that um, I didn't give them many interviews. Um, I know it would have been maybe good for, uh, for me to promote myself, but that was never my goal. So. Um, Press also, you know, they um, they don't call you every day anymore if if they know that they don't get a lot. Um, so um, it makes sense also, you know, you don't have more work to do than yeah, you you should. At the end, you want to focus on your job. And my job was to to be his coach, and I wanted to do it as good as I possibly could.
0: As a boy, you obviously had dreams of being a top tennis player. You got into the top six hundred. Do you feel in retrospect that you have had a good tennis career as being part of the Roger Federer story?
1: Yeah, for sure, no. I mean, uh, as a player you have to really um be on an incredible level, you know, to to live what you you lived in, in with Roger's career now. So I'm I'm very fortunate, you know, it's also nice um yeah, Roger always had a group of people around him. I think that's also something um, I like. Uh, I think it's tough, you know, if you're I don't know 150 in the world and uh, you have to travel on your own. Um, it's not that easy, you know. So I always like to have a team uh, around, uh, and and also like in Davis Cup, you know, there's also a team. Um, so this is something I really liked, and and I think um, for me to for my own tennis career would have been difficult. You know, that's probably also a reason why I stopped that early uh, playing because, uh, yeah, honestly, I felt pretty lonely there. And um yeah, But with uh, with Roger's career, I could uh, maybe live uh, what I didn't do uh, in my own career.
0: And finally, is there a moment that stands out that you may be boring your friends with 20 years from now when you look back at his career? Is there one moment that you think, you know, that was a pretty special time
1: yeah luckily um i'm i'm spoiled but um it's it's almost tough to you know um take one uh win or one emotional um thing out of the the whole the whole story you know um i think there was many and the more i think about it uh, the more i realize oh yeah this this was special that's what happened then if I would have to say four, it would maybe be uh, Australian Open 2017, you know, um, unbelievable uh, comeback. And uh, after such a long break at uh, the, the age of 36 or 35, um, then there was um, <laughs> uh, Davies Cup uh, comes in, into my mind, um, Olympic gold medal with Vavrinka, uh, with Wawrinka. Um, it's tough to to know which one uh, to pick but also like every Wimbledon uh, title was unbelievable so yeah there's a lot I think uh, uh, I should take some time and do a a ranking but it's also tough to compare those moments you know there were so many nice ones that it's um, you don't want to say which one was better they they were all uh, very special
0: and you're staying on as the Swiss Davis Cup captain so we won't we will see something of you on the tour at least
1: yeah, uh, Davis Cup I'm also doing for a long time, you know, um, luckily we have uh, a better team now, you know, we have a few uh, good players and, and um, let's see where the the whole story uh, goes. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, yeah, I'm going to be seen on, on tour or, or in tennis in general.
0: Thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you.